Dr. Marketing Tips, paging Dr. Marketing Tips. Dr. Marketing Tips, you're needed in the marketing department. Welcome to the Dr. Marketing Tips Podcast, your prescription to the answers you seek to grow your medical practice easier, better, and faster. This show is all about connecting practice administrators and medical marketing professionals with peers working in practices, learning from experiences, making mistakes, and sharing successes. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome to the Dr. Marketing Tips Podcast. I am Jennifer and I am joined today by Dr. Jeff Siegel. Dr. Siegel is a neurosurgeon turned attorney turned entrepreneur. And I think that all of our listeners are wondering how you managed to do all that and still have a head full of hair. So um, Jeff, thanks for joining us. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, this is a podcast, so you can't see whether I have hair or not. I do have some, but probably not as much as I have when I started this journey a number of years ago. So yes, I practiced as a neurosurgeon for a decade. That included the training before that and got involved with a biotech company. We founded one in Research Triangle Park and did that for a number of years. I had been sued one time for what I perceived to be a frivolous reason. The single expert who testified against me had actually been expelled from our professional society for delivering frivolous testimony. Yet there he was with an opinion making a very handsome living testifying against doctors. Mind you, he had never seen or done the case at hand, but he communicated well with the jury, so he was making great money. The case was dismissed about two weeks before trial. I never felt as if I won anything, just lost less, and I thought there's got to be a better way to manage this. And so I created medical justice as a way to keep doctors from being sued for frivolous reasons. We pay the bills to file counterclaims and countersuits against Opponents of frivolous lawsuits, typically after a case is terminated. And we've been at this now for quite a while. We've worked with over 11,000 physicians across the country over a period of time. And along the way, we've expanded what we do, goal being to de-escalate doctor-patient conflict using a collection of tools. I mean, if and when you've been sued, it's already kind of late. So the goal is to potentially extinguish conflict before it escalates. Also, we created Emerit as a tool to help manage a doctor's most precious asset, namely his or her reputation. I got a law degree along the way and... What else can I tell you? It's been quite a journey along the path. I'm still confused, haven't quite figured out what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, I think that you've raised the bar for the rest of us, definitely. I mean, one of those professions is enough, but to do all three, kudos to you. I'm sure that you get plenty of sleep at night and you have no stress in your life at all. Well, other than on any given day, I do lose a fair amount of hair because of the stress (laughs) that does come through. Back to the original assertion. I love it. Hey, what I want to talk about today is protecting PHI in kind of the digital age. And just since you are an attorney, I have all kinds of legal questions that I'm going to use this next 15 minutes or so to get some advice from you. So let's start with this though. What do you think some of the biggest mistakes are that you're seeing when it comes to HIPAA violations, but specific to digital marketing communication? Okay. So PHI is protected health information and it's a slave to HIPAA. HIPAA is a federal rule. It's been in place for probably two decades, and it's follow-up 
stepchild is the High Tech Act. So a lot of federal rules related to how we need to manage protected health information. In addition, there are also state privacy laws. As if HIPAA is not enough, there are also state privacy laws that pretty much mirror the federal laws. And so with respect to digital marketing, what are some of the concerns or challenges? So what are the tools that we would use with digital marketing? If you want to go directly to a patient, email and text marketing, those are both great tools to get a message out. The challenge is that under HIPAA, you need the patient's signed authorization to send them emails. Why? Email typically is not considered a secure communication. Now, there certainly are HIPAA compliant email platforms. Those are the pain in the ass platforms that are more likely called portals where you have to set up an account, have a username, password, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, those portals are HIPAA compliant, but they're not really the type of email that we're talking about. We're talking about the Gmail account, the Yahoo account, Hotmail, and so on and so forth. And so, yes, you can directly market to your patients, but you need their signed authorization. So how do we do this? The best way to do it, I think, is when the patient first sees you. When they first see you and there's a giant packet of papers that they're filling out, include in there a paragraph which basically says that a lot of people find email or text messaging to be convenient. It's not considered secure from the standpoint of federal law, but many patients like it. Can we have your signed authorization to send to your address, the address being blah, 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 gmail.com? And there's some additional HIPAA language you need to put in there. We have templates that we can make available. It's only a paragraph long, but that'll bulletproof you. I mean, will this turn into a problem? I don't know that it'll turn into a problem. It's only a problem if somebody complains. People who are angry complain and they try and figure out every possible way to do so. And if they say that you're marketing to them by email, then they could file a complaint with the Office of Inspector General and so on. So you want to make sure that you've got a signed authorization up front. So that's HIPAA. Then HIPAA HIPAA has a nasty cousin called TCPA, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, which I'm guessing 98% of the listeners have never heard of. What is it? TCPA is a cash cow for plaintiff attorneys. It is the second largest complaint in federal court after employment law related matters. Why? Because there's so much money in it. As Willie Sutton said, why he robbed banks, he robs banks because that's where the money is. TCPA came around again about 20 years ago, maybe a bit beyond when people were eating dinner and there were telemarketing calls made to landlines. So at the time, people actually ate dinner at six o'clock in their kitchen together and people had landlines. We don't eat dinner together any longer. We don't have landlines, but the law has become even more onerous, meaning that if somebody sends an automated text message to your mobile phone without your signed authorization, that's a violation of TCPA. So again, sending a automated text message, blast text message without signed authorization in mobile phone is a breach of this TCPA. So what are the penalties? They're pretty stiff. It's $500 to $1,500 per unauthorized text. $500 to $1,500 per unauthorized text. So just imagine, let's do some math here. Let's say it's an average of $1,000 and you just did a telemarketing campaign 
to um, a thousand of your patients. Well, that's a thousand times a thousand. That's a million dollars. So all it takes is one unhappy patient to get this blast text message. Let's say he's an attorney that's made some cash on this before. He then says, you sent me an unauthorized text message. You didn't have my permission, blah, blah, blah. I'm filing a class action lawsuit. Turn over all your records. I'm sure that you sent it out to all your patients. Now, what are some of the other challenges? Most people don't have insurance for this. So unlike medical malpractice insurance, most people don't have insurance for this. And you have no leverage at that point. Now you're on the receiving end to write a check. There have been some ridiculously large settlements. One for Walgreens, for example, was $16 million. What horrible thing did Walgreens do? They collected mobile phone numbers and then for refills. So it was supposedly for refills. And they were using these phone numbers to remind people to get their flu vaccine or something like that. I don't remember the exact details, but it wasn't such a horrible or heinous act. Anyway, that translated into $16 million. Okay, I've told you about all the bad stuff. How do you neutralize that? You add one more sentence to that authorization I just talked about because you have to dot the I's and cross the T's. It says that also I elect to receive marketing messages by texting, that text, my mobile number being 336 and so on and so forth. This will remain in effect until I text stop or let the office know in writing and so on and so forth. To be compliant with TCPA, you need to have a number of statements in there. But the whole thing with HIPAA and TCPA compliance and marketing can be wrapped up in a nice little bow in one paragraph. And again, just getting that in place from the very beginning is helpful. Now, I know practices have said, well, I've been doing it for quite a while and a lot of my patients are repeat patients, so they don't get a new patient packet. How do I deal with this? There are a couple ways to deal with it. One is when they see you again, freshen up the paperwork. And number two, you can probably send out some information allowing them to opt in. There are ways to do this. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. And the goal is how do you just become compliant? Being compliant is always a pain in the butt, but it's doable. And if you do it up front, it's so much better than trying to address this after the firemen have shown up at your house. Hello, Keith Landry here with Insight Marketing Group, talking public relations. To get your doctor's story on the news, you have to hire someone who knows how newsrooms work. Insider Insights win news coverage. Our team spent 26 years working in newsrooms and we execute effective public relations campaigns. Trust Insight Marketing Group to get your story on the news. I think that's great advice. So you addressed email, you addressed text, not directly related, but in a similar family. Do you have any suggestions with maybe putting policies in place for interacting with patients or potential patients on social media? Because to be successful, you have to be transparent and you have to engage, but sometimes the act of engaging may put you into the corner when it comes to health records or health information or even acknowledging that they're patients. Yeah. This is, I'm going to give you the lawyerly answer. It depends. Such a lawyer. Yeah, but I'll qualify it and get you a good answer. I do think that you should be out there. You should find a way to interact. You just need to be careful about how you interact. So if it's just a marketing message and it's broad and you're not disclosing protected health information, wonderful. You're already safe. Nothing to worry about there. Number two is that if you just want to thank someone for posting a positive comment about your practice, 
this, it's got to be broad. And first of all, I'm not a fan of thanking someone online for posting something positive because in a sense, you're just thanking them for the thanks. It's not particularly original and you're going to run out of original material pretty quickly. I know people do it. I think it's more trouble than it's worth. It's time consuming. And it's implied that if someone writes a nice note about you online, that you're pleased with that and you acknowledge it. If you do feel a need to acknowledge it, acknowledge it privately. Just send them a note or call them. Just let them know, hey, I saw what you wrote about me online. I really appreciate it. You're awesome. You don't need to put that online or get the patient's authorization that you can respond online. If you have a signed authorization, you're golden. Really need to worry about it. The biggest concern is getting into a debate online with a patient who's unhappy. That's a hornet's nest. There are ways to respond, but you need to respond in a HIPAA compliant way. You cannot out a patient's protected health information. There is a myth that if a patient has already outed themselves online, acknowledging that they are a patient of yours and they're unhappy, there's this myth that the door is open for you to respond and get into a public debate. Well, first, it's counterproductive to get into a public debate with a patient. Is your goal to win the debate or to educate the public? If it's to win the debate, you're not going to win. You're going to incite a cyber mob. So I would tell you not to do it. But if your goal is to educate the public, there are plenty of ways to do that in a HIPAA compliant way. I can tell you that unless the patient has given you signed authorization up front to respond and even acknowledge that they are your patient, you cannot disclose protected health information. The mere fact that they have done it on their own is irrelevant. And we've asked the Health and Human Services directly about this, and they said, well, it's pretty simple. If it's not a written exception to HIPAA and disclosing protected health information, and it's not in this particular case, you just can't do it. You need a signed authorization or you can't do it. So we're recording this kind of, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's been six months since we all started working from home for COVID. And mm. there were a bunch of regulations that were relaxed around HIPAA at the beginning so it could be delivered. I'm in Orlando and we had this kind of a relaxed regulations a couple handful of years ago during the Pulse nightclub shooting. It was literally right down the road from our office. Mm -hmm. And there were families outside of the hospital that couldn't get information because the hospital, rightfully so, was trying to adhere by all the HIPAA guidelines. And so the president actually had to issue an executive order to relax the regulations in our community specific around the shooting. And then fast forward, and now we have COVID and we have all these kind of relaxed rules that happened in March and April. And it feels like things are getting kind of back to normal or whatever this new normal is going to be. But I think it was the head of CMS who said literally the genie is out of the bottle when it comes to virtual care and the delivery of care. And so I just wonder, do you have any kind of thoughts on from a HIPAA standpoint or from just from a data privacy standpoint, if we have kind of gotten ahead of ourselves, and if the current regulations around HIPAA have now kind of been exposed as being a little antiquated in order to keep up with kind of what patients are expecting from a virtual standpoint in a remote care model? monitoring standpoint. And so are there things that we need to update for HIPAA? And also, what do you see kind of around the corner as it relates to data privacy? Lots to unpack right there. Yes. So in terms of some of the relaxed rules, I think the main relaxed rule was the type of platform you can use. Because previously, if you're engaging in a telemedicine consult, you needed to work with a partner that was a HIPAA business associate. It needed to transmit data securely from point A to point B. You needed to 
store it securely, blah, 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 lots of stuff, unless you had the patient's authorization to do it otherwise. Because we've definitely had clients who said, look, um, I have patients that want to use FaceTime or they want to use the cheapy version of Zoom, not the one where you have a HIPAA business associate or Skype. How do I do that? You know, if I've got the, the free version and not the paid version, it's that easy. Just get the patient prior written authorization. And almost everyone says yes, because it's convenient. So the only thing that's really changed dramatically is that during COVID, they said, yeah, you know, if you don't have the patient's authorization in advance, it's okay. Use the free version of this stuff. And I think that's okay. I do think that expectations are such that data will still be kept secure. I think people don't want to see their data, particularly health information all over the place or easily hacked, et cetera. So I don't think much has changed. I think some of the formalities associated with the type of partners we have to have have changed. I still think it's a good idea to make sure that the partners are taking data seriously and that they're not running fast and loose, turning it around and selling it to third parties. I think if and when patients find out about that, they're going to be four plus pissed. How do you prevent that? You work with good partners. I do think that getting back to how you launched, how do you get information to the family when it's obvious they need it and should have it? I mean, anyone with a brain on their head would say, how can I make this happen quickly? I would argue just do it and just, yeah, maybe there'll be a problem associated with it, but I think you're going to solve problems. And if you can solve a problem up front, you're more likely than not to get into trouble. We have a client the other day who had a patient who passed away and the family wanted the records and they wanted a refund because the surgery hadn't actually taken place. They were looking for a refund and they're basically saying, well, how do we deal with HIPAA? Because we don't have a signed release to give it to the next of kin and they weren't involved with the patient's care. And so we set it up saying, look, you have, there's no problem with sending records to the executor of the estate. And they said, well, we don't know who the executor is because it's going through probate. So we just had them sign a letter that all of the family members, and they all wanted the record, all of the family members are potential executors in line. I mean, we just basically created an easy path to honor their request. They were trying to get the records and the doctor didn't want to get beaten up with HIPAA. But I think the larger point is de-escalate conflict, solve problems, and more likely than not, you're going to be on the right side of any future conflict. Yeah, I think you took your lawyer hat off for a second and sometimes doing the right thing is what keeps you on the straight and narrow and use a little bit of common sense and be decent and everything else will play. Hey, Jeff, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find out more about medical justice and e-merit and everything you've got going on? Come to our website, medicaljustice.com, medicaljustice.com, or call us 877-MEDJUST, M-E-D-J-U-S-T, M-E-D-J-U-S-T. And we're pretty good about getting back to people very quickly. Uh, Any final words? Yeah, the medical legal world is a thicket of challenges. We learned none of this in medical school or residency. We learned at best how to diagnose and treat, and that's already a full-time job. We learned nothing about running a business. We learned nothing about marketing. We learned nothing about getting sued. All the things that do keep us up at night above and beyond patient care. So you and I are both here to fill in a number of those gaps. 
So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on the Dr. Marketing Tips podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the DrMarketingTips.com podcast. If there's anything from today's show you want to learn more about, check out DrMarketingTips.com for our podcast resource center with all the notes, links, and goodies we mentioned during the show. If you're not already a subscriber to our show, please consider pressing the subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss one of our future episodes. And if you haven't given us a rating or review yet on iTunes, please find a spare minute and help us reach and educate even more of our medical practice peers. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Doctor's Orders.